So just to kind of give you a recap, this is the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, a church that he planted and he's writing from a prison cell. He's writing to this church and yet here we are 2,000 years later and this letter is still speaking to us here today. And we've looked at a few themes, a few different ideas that kind of come out through this letter. But the primary thought throughout is joy. The primary focus throughout this letter is joy. And I think that the the context that Paul is in really just kind of drills that home. Because he's not just kind of chilling out. He's, He's in prison. And yet he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, encouraging them pushing them towards an attitude of joy. And I just think that that context, it makes it so powerful because there's a weight behind words that come from someone who's been through something. You know, he's in this situation and it's dire and it's horrible and yet he's writing and speaking into their lives joy. You know, when someone's been betrayed and yet they speak to you about the importance of friendship, There's weight behind that, isn't there? When someone's been hurt and yet they're encouraging you to love deeply, it it kind of, it stirs something up because there's, there's more weight behind those words when you know that person has been through something. Because when they've gone through something and they've come out of the other side, they've come out with some wisdom that perhaps you and I can take on for our journey of faith, that we can hear from them, we can hear what it is that they've been through and what it is that they're still speaking And we can take that and apply that to our own personal journeys. And so we've got to ask ourselves as we look through this letter to the Philippians, how can someone who is in prison, who is under house arrest, encouraging us to rejoice in all things? Because I don't know about you, but I think it's probably quite challenging for him in that moment to be rejoicing in his situation, in his circumstance. And yet that is exactly what he's doing. And so we're asking, what is it that Paul has got? What is it that's inside of Paul that perhaps I need in my life? And that's what we've been looking at over the past few weeks, and we're going to wrap up today. So we're going to read from the final chapter of Philippians, chapter 4, starting at verse 4, running through to verse 13. Turn with me if you've got your Bibles. If not, it'll no doubt appear on the screen. There you go. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. 
I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And that last verse, that last verse is one of those just kind of amazing, well-known, much quoted verses that is often used out of context. (laughs) I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, like rocking up to an exam that you've not studied for. I can do all things through Christ who, no, you should have revised. Jumping out of a plane without a parachute. I can do all things. That is not going to end well. Paul is not saying you can do anything and everything. What he's saying is that God will be with you through it all. That he'll be with you through it all. Now, don't get me wrong, God wants you to see your dreams and your visions fulfilled and he wants you to live in the fullness of his spirit alive and working in you. And there are an abundance of verses in scripture that speak into that. But this is not one of those. This is not one of those. So let's just use our scripture in context, people. Let's study the word. Let's understand what it means. Just look at it by looking what's come before, what comes after, and get hold of the context. And the context of this verse is around contentment. It's around contentment. And that's what I want to talk to you about today to to close out this series, finding contentment. But before that, let me just tell you, uh, back when I was in school, I wasn't particularly what you would call uh, academic. My uh, school reports always read the same. John has potential. If only he would stop talking. (laughs) Well, look at me now. (laughs) But for some reason, and looking back, I've got no idea. When it came to GCSE, I decided to take both French and German. Now, we've been doing French since year six, uh, so I had a bit of a grasp, a bit, on that subject, but that was compulsory. You had to do French in our school at GCSE. A German was a choice, uh, and for some reason, I chose to also do German, um, and I'm not really sure why, but the German class was very small. There was like eight of us uh, in this class, and, you know, I attended those classes. I paid some attention in those classes, but there was a clear distinction in the room of the eight students, of those who had a a strong grasp of the German language and those who were perhaps not quite there. And uh, my teacher at the time, Mr. Finney, he did something every year, I found out, because my brother also did German um, six, eight years before me. Um, and so he confirmed that this wasn't just a one-off, it was regular. And he gave a name to those students who were slightly underachieving in the class. And he called them the Lesser Brethren. The Lesser Brethren Club is what you were part of if you were, you know, perhaps not quite achieving the standard that he would expect. And I don't know if you can guess, but... Uh, I was part of that club, the Lesser Brethren Club, and, you know, I was a proud member for a long time, but I didn't let that get me down. I kept on trying my best and trying to understand this complex language, and uh, I actually managed to get promoted out of this group, this club, somehow by achieving my only GCSE A in German. I, got an, I had no idea how I got an A in German. I definitely spoke French in my German oral exam. Uh, I floundered my way through it. I used the phrase at least once, ich habe keine Ahnung, which means I've got no idea. I learned that one. <laughs> um, but somehow, 
I managed to score an A in my exam and much to the disappointment of my teachers, I did not take any languages beyond GCSE. I had had enough at that point. But I was still keen to learn, not languages, but learn other things. And so, you know, even now I I read, I listen to podcasts, I study and I try to stretch and I try to to grow myself in, in some way. You know, this idea of lifelong learning, this idea of uh, a kind of continued professional and personal development is, is something that I think is quite important in life and, and hopefully you guys do too because there's always something to learn, isn't there? There's always something to learn. Not one of us in this room has made it, got it all figured out. We don't know everything. There's always something that we can grow in, that we can learn in. Spurgeon said this, Do not indulge any of you in the silly notion that you can be contented without learning or learn without discipline. Don't indulge in the notion that you can be contented, that you can find contentment without learning or that you can learn without discipline. And I don't know, as we've been working through this series and looking at this theme of joy, maybe you've kind of been asking yourself, why are we talking about joy when I find myself in a moment of absolute misery? Why is it that we're now talking about this theme of contentment when actually in my personal life I'm struggling to make ends meet? I'm not getting the breakthrough that I want. I'm not seeing uh, those answers to prayer. Why are we talking about this stuff? And I believe it's because we can learn joy. We can learn contentment. Paul writes, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I have learned it. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. We can all learn to live a life of contentment in all circumstances, in every circumstance, when we have plenty and when we're without. I heard a quote this week as I was prepping for this morning's message. It said, contentment is an inward confidence of God's goodness that produces joy and peace regardless of outward circumstances. Let me read that again. Contentment is an inward confidence of God's goodness that produces joy and peace regardless of outward circumstance. Because our contentment is not based on our current circumstance. It's not based on our current circumstance. And how can we be sure of this? Because the person who we're studying, the person who is writing to us right now, he's not on holiday. He's not sitting on a beach sipping a pina colada. He's locked in prison. He's, on, he's in house arrest. And yet he's writing this letter to us that's still speaking to us today, encouraging us to joy, encouraging us to peace, encouraging us to learn contentment. I have learned the secret of contentment. And it's inward. It's not outward. It's got nothing to do with how things are going right now. And, you know, I think it would also be easy to assume that that this message today specifically is to those in the room who are without, who are struggling, who find themselves in a desperate situation. That actually uh, an understanding and a grasp of feeling content is for those who lack. But that's not just the case. It's not just for those who are without. 
You know, we can assume that those who, who perhaps aren't happy in their job, well, they just need to be content in that and, and keep doing their best. And that dream job is just around the corner. Or for those people maybe who find themselves single and, you know, you just need to be content and sit in that as if finding a partner is the be all and end all. You know, we, we kind of put this, this theme and this, this idea and this attitude of contentment on those who perhaps are struggling right now. But that's not all it is. It's not just for those people. Because rich people can find themselves discontent. I was chatting with a guy just this week. Um, and he, he owns a business and he went to this, uh, this fancy dinner, this black tie do, and he found himself sitting next to uh, a business owner who owns kind of, I think he said 50 different businesses uh, in this industry and each one is turning over like a million pounds a year. And so he's a big businessman. He, he knows what it is to, to have much. And, uh, and this guy, he's a Christian and uh, and when he found out he was, you get seated at the table, you don't get to choose. He got seated next to this guy and, and everyone was kind of like, good luck there because this guy's a bit obnoxious. He's, you know, he's got the wealth, he's got the watch, he's got the girl, all of that stuff. And so he kind of carries that with him. And they're like, well, good luck sitting with him. Enjoy your meal. We'll see you later on. And he sits down next to this guy and he's not really sure what to, what to think or how to act. And he was just like, well, I'll just be myself. I'll just talk to him. And, and through the flow of the conversation, it came up that he was a Christian. And, and then this guy next to him was like, oh, well, I went through Alpha. And, and I was kind of searching for something because what I recognized that even in all of my wealth, even in all that I have achieved in life, I still feel discontent. I still feel without. I still feel like I've not got everything that I need. And I don't know, I was blown away by hearing this story in the relevance of what I was preaching today. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that one. <laughs> but it was just, it really spoke to me because we can, we can assume that this idea of contentment is for those who are lacking. But actually, even those who on the outside of things look like they've got everything they could ever want they can still have an inward feeling of discontent. Your contentment has got nothing to do with how things are going for you right now. It's got nothing to do with your outward appearance or how your life looks to those around you. And so if it's possible to be discontent when things aren't going well, and it's possible to be discontent when things are going great, then also it must mean that we can be content when things are going great. And we also can be content when things are really rubbish. We can apply this to, to both settings. And so no matter what life looks like for you right now, the psalmist says, and Gary prayed this earlier on this morning, that this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So in verse 9 of our passage this morning, Paul writes, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. How do we find contentment? How do we get to a place where we can have this attitude like Paul who professes to have contentment in all situations? We practice. We practice Practice makes perfect, they say, don't they? You know, we can, we can talk about this stuff on a Sunday. 
But if you're not applying this stuff on a Monday, then it's just theory. It's just head knowledge. So we've got to get to a place where we, we take what we learn and hear on a Sunday and we begin to put it into practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then come back on Sunday filled with stories of how you've put that into practice. We've got to practice. And so this morning, I'm just going to look at three things that we can practice to help us get to and grasp hold of and achieve this this attitude of contentment in all circumstances. And the first is this, practice gratitude. Everyone say gratitude. And we talked about this, didn't we, in week one, because uh, under the kind of the theme, remember what God has already done, because Paul wrote his letter and he began at the very beginning, I thank God every time I remember you. I thank God. He was grateful. He was full of thanksgiving. And then at the very end of this letter, he repeats the theme again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. It's an attitude. It's a, it's a posture of thankfulness. And we need to practice gratitude. We need to practice gratitude. You know, I've shared this before, definitely, but we're getting to the end of the year um, now, which means that in a few weeks' time, it'll be the beginning of 2023. And in our house, that means we can open up our gratitude jar. Because we've got this jar on the mantelpiece of our dining room filled now to the brim with bits of paper because we regularly practice gratitude in our house where we as a family encourage one another to write down things that we are thankful for and put them in the jar. And then at the beginning of next year, we can open it up and look back on all that God has done for us throughout the previous year. And that is something that we put into place because we recognize that perhaps we forget about the small stuff. It's easy to remember the big stuff, but we forget about some of the small stuff. And so what we wanted to do was look back at what had gone before. Remember what God had done for us the year before and be thankful for it. So we can look at it and go, oh, do you remember this? How good was that? How good is God through all these situations? And so I'm super excited for the start of next year when we can do that. But Paul's reminding us again that no matter what the situation, we must rejoice. He said, always rejoice. He doesn't say, sometimes rejoice. He doesn't say, when you feel like it, rejoice. He doesn't say, when you've got enough money in your pocket, then rejoice. He says, always rejoice. In every circumstance, rejoice. No matter what it looks like on the outside, rejoice. Be thankful. Practice gratitude. And so this is the principle here, that when we practice gratitude, it protects our contentment. Because when we're grateful... When we're full of thankfulness, we can live this life of joy that Paul is encouraging us towards in his letter. When we're taking the time to thank God for his goodness, for his faithfulness, for everything that he has done for us in the past, we can be content. We can find contentment. So we need to choose gratitude daily. And it's easy, isn't it, to be thankful for the, for the big stuff. 
It's easy to be blown away by God's goodness in the big stuff, but we've got to be thankful for the small things too. For everything, in every situation, even in the rubbish times, be thankful. And this is a choice that has to move from, I know I'm supposed to be thankful, to actually practicing gratitude, putting it into practice. So we need to practice gratitude. And then secondly, we need to practice prayer. Everyone say prayer. Come on. Are you awake this morning? (laughs) Speaking to myself. It sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? Practicing prayer. What does it mean to to practice prayer? Well, you know, I've had people come to me before now and they say, John, I, I don't know how to pray. I don't understand what it is that prayer looks like. And so I just, we sit down and we have a conversation and maybe I'll try and encourage them to open up a little bit and share some of what's going on. And then towards the end of our conversation, I'll say, this is prayer. This right here is prayer. I am believing with you that God will intervene in this stuff. What we've done right now, how you've spoken to me, that's prayer, except instead of speaking to me, you speak to God. It's as simple as that. You just, you just speak how you normally speak. There's no right or wrong way to pray. Do not get hung up on how other people pray. You know, I've been told often by Ruth that I pray long prayers. And I don't know, that's just, I get carried away in prayer. But we, we just got to just pray how you speak. You don't need to have these and thous and whoever so gazeth upon the Lord and all of that. You don't need any of that stuff. Just pray how you talk. Just talk to God and do it normally. He's not looking for fancy words. He's not looking for long prayers. If all you need to say is help, that's fine. But if you want to spend hours in prayer, that's fine too. This is whatever's comfortable. Just make sure that you're practicing prayer. In verse 6, Paul writes, the Lord is at hand. He's close. He's right there. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The Passion Translation puts it this way. Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day. Offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. I love that. Saturated in prayer every day. What a vision that is. What a picture that is. And where does it say our prayers come from? An overflow of gratitude. These two things go hand in hand. Gratitude and prayer. And we've got to practice them both. We need to practice prayer. We need to prioritize prayer. Some of us need to hear that this morning. We've got to prioritize prayer in all things, in the good and in the bad. And, you know, I find a good indicator of how our our prayer life is, is in the challenging times when, when the rubber hits the road, when the challenges come. What is your first response? What is your first response when something happens? that stops you in your tracks and causes you to kind of get a bit, oh, I don't know what's going on right now. Is your first response to worry, to panic, to be a little bit anxious about it? Is your first response to roll up your sleeves and try to figure out a way to get through this thing on your own? 
Is your first response to phone a friend and draft in some help to get you through this situation that, that has cropped up? What is your first response? Are you doing all of those things and then getting to a point where you've worn out all other options and then you get on your knees and begin to pray, God, I can't do it. I've tried all of these things. Now I need your help. Is, is that how you're responding to situations? You know, perhaps some of us this morning need to, need to hear this principle of practicing prayer and we need to shift from the knowledge of, oh, I know that the first thing I should do is pray. I know that that's what I should be doing first to actually doing it first. Because it's easy, and I know I do it myself, when something happens to just, oh, I just need to try and figure out how to get through this. Our first response should always be to pray. Always. And that's not to say that you then can't think about how you can get through the situation. Or then you can't draft in some help from friends. But first, before any of that stuff, you've got to pray. You've got to practice prayer. And so we've got to practice gratitude. We've got to practice prayer. And finally, and this fits in so perfectly with our candles this morning, we've got to practice peace. Everyone say peace. peace. That's better. Verse 6 and 7 says this. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God... And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. You know, we started this message out this morning with a focus around contentment is an inward thing and it's not reliant on our outward circumstances. And here we see the result of contentment, an inward reaction, peace peace and not just any peace not just any peace but a supernatural peace a peace that surpasses all understanding it says a peace that will guard your heart and will guard your mind peace and so to see a shift in your life to to find true contentment in all circumstances not just in the lack not just in the plenty but in all circumstances to find contentment it's got to start inward it's got to start in here it, with our heart with our mind and joe touched on this last week didn't she that we need to be careful about what it is that we're thinking about what it is that we're allowing into our minds and we need to replace those lies of the enemy with truth from God's word we've got to take hold of those lies we've got to begin to walk those new paths of truth to tread them down so often that it becomes the natural flow of things and actually then at that point dismissing those lies of the enemy becomes easy but we've got to put that into practice and so when it comes to an inward shift, this kind of change in our attitude that will help us find contentment. There are some things that we've got to stop doing. And maybe one of these applies to you. Maybe all of these applies to you. I don't know. But we've got to stop doing some things. We've got to stop comparing. 
We've got to stop comparing ourselves. We've got to stop coveting. And we've got to stop complaining. You know, if you find yourself comparing your life to someone else's, if you find yourself looking at someone else and thinking, oh, wow, that looks like a good life. That looks really good. I think I could have me some of that. Is that going to lead to contentment? Is that leading you to a place of contentment in your own life? Maybe some of us need to come off social media for a bit. Because right now in the age that we're living in, social media is the biggest fueler of comparison by far. Because we're scrolling through our feeds and we're seeing these perfect pictures that people are posting. Hashtag no filter. Hashtag absolute nonsense. Look at my amazing meal. Look at my amazing holiday. Look at my perfect family. They're not showing you the real stuff. They're just showing you what they want you to see. And so maybe for some of us, we need to just, let's just delete the apps for a bit. Let's just come off social media for a little bit. And I'm speaking to myself there. That's absolutely me, 100%. And so I, I... Try and make the habit of at Christmas when the holidays kick in, I delete social media and then we're going to be talking about it. But in the new year, we start our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so for me, that looks like social media because it takes up far too much of my time. I get a report every week at the end of the week that tells me how much time I've spent on social media. Four hours a day? No, surely not. I don't know. It's far too much. Screen time a day, okay. But so if I looked at the detail of social media, it would definitely not be good reading. So for me, that's what I will be fasting from the start of the Christmas holidays to the end of January. Um, so you be thinking about now, I'm giving you some advance notice from like the second week of January, 21 days of prayer and fasting for the church, for our community. Think about what you need to fast. Maybe it's social media to eradicate this, this thing of comparison. Maybe it's coveting. When we want what someone else has, and they're a little bit similar, they go a little bit hand in hand, but we can look at people and think, oh, they've got the latest phone. I really want the latest phone. Or they've got this amazing car. Oh, I'd love that for myself. Or my brother's currently on holiday, on honeymoon in the Dominican Republic, posting these sickening pictures. It's horrible. It looks terrible. Definitely don't want to be there. But, you know, we can covet stuff like that. We can look at that and go, oh, I could have some of that for myself right now, especially feeling this cold. We've got to be careful because when we go down the road of wanting what someone else has, it is leading you in the opposite direction of contentment. You're never going to realize contentment if you're looking at what other people have got and wanting it for yourself and complaining Oh, we love a good moan. We love a good moan, don't we? And we've talked about this already this year, but we love to complain. I'm not happy. That's not fair. Why do they always do this? Why does it always happen to me? Whatever it is, but that doesn't sound like contentment to me. I don't know about you, but that does not sound like contentment to me. And actually, these three things, these three things, they they don't come from a place of peace. They don't come from a place of peace. The definition of of peace is freedom from disturbance. 
But all of these three things, comparison, coveting, complaining, they all come from disturbance and disruption in our life. Every single one of them. And they're all leading us away from contentment. And so we need to switch off these things. Whatever it is that is causing us to compare, to covet, to complain. Whatever it is that's, that's leading us down those paths, we need to switch off from those. We need to turn right around and begin to go in the opposite direction because instead we need to practice peace. We need to practice peace. And biblical peace can be defined in three ways. Peace with God, peace of God, and peace with others. So peace with God. And Ruth talked about this when we looked at the Advent candles. It's the reassurance that we receive through faith. Having a peace with God. It's the kind of peace that comes from trusting that God will provide for us, that we trust that God will care for us, that we trust that no matter what we say and no matter what we do, God will love us anyway. And so finding a kind of a lasting peace with God, it requires us to keep learning, to keep growing in our faith and to keep on learning more of who God is. Because as we draw close to God, as we begin to understand more of who our God is, we will know that we have peace with him. We will know that we have peace with him. And then out of that peace flows the peace of God. And that's this, this supernatural peace that, that passes all understanding. It's the, it's the peace that, that we can have in the, in the midst of life's storms. It's a peace that, that soothes us when our emotions are in turmoil. You know, peace is one of the, the fruits of the Spirit, and it's a gift of God's grace to us. He, he gives us peace, the peace of God. That is a gift for us. And it's the peace of God that means that we can find joy in the midst of any and every circumstance. It's the peace of God that means when we're in lack, we can be content. And when we have much, we can be content because we have the peace of God. And that peace of God, it reminds us that, that he's good. And not just, oh, he's good, but he is good. Like the true definition of good. He, God is good, that he works together all things for our good. And then thirdly, peace with others. And this can be a challenge, can't it? Having peace with others when they push our buttons. Those people who know how to push your buttons and yet they do it anyway. Those people who hurt us. Those people who lie about us. Those people who talk about us behind our backs. Those people who, who damage us, who use us, who abuse us. And yet the Bible says we need to have peace with those people. Now that's easier said than done, isn't it? We've got to have peace with those people. And this is a peace that that gives us the courage to, to recognize what's our responsibility and to recognize actually what we just need to leave to God. And, and this kind of peace, it, it comes in partnership with forgiveness. Because often unforgiveness causes us to not have peace. And the truth is that, that more often than not, when we are feeling unforgiveness towards someone, they don't even know it. 
They don't even know it. You're over here being all bitter and twisted about what this person has done to you. And they're over here living their best life, not even thinking about you. And so if we want to have peace with others, we also need to forgive other people and forgive easily. Forgive quickly. And that is really hard. I'm not saying oh, I do it perfectly. You, should, you, should, you guys should be doing it easily. It's, it's simple. It's not simple. It's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. But in order to, to have peace, we need to practice peace. And that's what this means. Practicing peace means that when someone has hurt you deeply, that you practice peace by forgiving them quickly so that you can have peace with other people, so that you can feel that peace of God. It takes practice. It takes effort. It's not always easy. So we need to practice gratitude. We need to practice prayer and we need to practice peace. And, and all of these things, when we begin to put them into practice, they point us in one direction, the direction of Jesus Christ. They point us and lead us towards Jesus, the only source of our contentment. The only source of our contentment. In Jeremiah 17, it says, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. When we are planted in Jesus... There is no need to fear. There's no need to doubt. There's no need to be worried or anxious. If we stay connected to the source, the truth is that we'll have everything that we need to feel content in every situation. And the seasons may change. The seasons may change, but that passage says the leaves are always green. The leaves are always green. No matter what the season, being planted in Jesus means we'll always have joy no matter what the circumstance. Because when we're connected to the source, his provision, his joy, his love for us, it never runs out. It never runs out. So if our roots are going deep enough, we can continue to draw from him the strength we need, the joy we need, the peace we need. We can just continue to draw from him and that river will never run dry. We can keep on soaking it up, keep on drawing it up whenever it is that we need it. John 15 says this, and we know it well, Remain in me and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if, it's not severed from the vi if it is severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't produce joy by ourselves. We can't find peace on our own. We can't achieve this attitude of contentment by ourselves. And we're not expected to. 
We're not expected to. God says, stay connected to the source. Abide in me. And then you will produce much fruit. That fruit of the Spirit, love, joy that we've been talking about, peace that we've been talking about, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If we remain in the source, if we remain connected to the vine that is Jesus, we will produce much fruit, much fruit. So we need to stay connected. We need to stay connected. Don't run away when times get tough. Don't turn your back on God like you don't need him because things are going great. We need to stay in his presence. We need to remain in his presence because in his presence, it says, there is fullness of joy. There's fullness of joy. And we need to stay surrounded by our brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't ever think that you and God is enough. Your relationship with God is of paramount importance. But the Bible is quite clear. We have to be around other people as well. We have to be surrounded by our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to be in community. Otherwise, we won't get through it. If things are going great, stay connected. Stay connected. If things seem harder than they have ever been before, stay connected. Stay connected. Why is it that it seems like at both of these extremes, that's when people turn from God? When things are just incredibly amazing and things just seem to be all kind of peaches and cream, we're like, oh, I'm just going to enjoy this life right now. I don't need to even think about God because everything's all good. Until things begin to turn south and then, okay, then I'll come back to God. Or even when things are worse than they've ever been before, there seems to be this tendency for some of us to, to withdraw, to pull back, to, to kind of come into yourself and think, well, I don't want to be in church or around people of faith or, or spending time with God. Like, like that makes any sense. And yet we do it, some of us, don't we? That when things are terrible, we pull away. When what we need to be doing is pressing in. No matter what the circumstance your contentment has nothing to do with outward appearance, whether it's perfect or whether it is falling to pieces. That has nothing to do with feeling content. We need his presence. We need his presence in both of those extremes and everything in between. Everything in between. We need his presence. So if you want to find contentment. If you want to experience this contentment that, that Paul is encouraging us towards, we've got to practice gratitude. We've got to practice prayer and we've got to practice peace. So I encourage you this morning that those three things, gratitude, prayer and peace, we've heard about them this morning. We've looked at them, we've studied them this morning. But tomorrow, when Monday comes, let's put them into practice, yeah? Amen. Let's pray.
Yeah, Father God, we just thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. God, I thank you that your love never changes, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, God, even though sometimes our circumstances change, whether things are going great or whether things are terrible or everything in between, God, whatever our outward circumstance looks like, help us to remember that we can still feel joy, that we can still find contentment in you. God, I pray that throughout this week, we'll find those moments in our day when we can practice gratitude. When we can thank you for even the smallest of thing that you have provided for us. Prompt us by your Holy Spirit to remember to thank you in those things. God, help us to practice prayer this week. That, that no matter what happens, we won't try to uh, fix it ourselves. We won't try to, try to panic or worry or, or whatever it is that first, before everything else, that God, we would bring it to you in prayer. And God, I pray that you would fill us with your peace. A peace that passes all understanding. A peace that guards our hearts and our minds as we go into the world and out of the safety of, the, of these four walls. That, that God, where there are, there are attacks of the enemy trying to get into our hearts, trying to, trying to shift the thought patterns of our mind, that the peace that you provide for us would protect us in those moments. God, I thank you for your peace. I thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. And to help us to practice that as well this week. God, I pray that in everything, we would draw close to you. That we would draw close to you. That we would spend our time in your presence. It's so great to be here on a Sunday morning surrounded by our brothers and sisters, fellow followers of Christ, to worship you corporately, to hear from your word. But God, I pray that as we go out into this world, as we step out into our Monday, whatever that looks like, that we would surround ourselves with your presence. That we would ground ourselves in your presence. And that out of that, that out of that, would flow an attitude of gratitude, of prayer, of peace. In Jesus' name.